Well, it's good to be back with you this morning, and I'm excited to start a new series going through the book of Mark. So please, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me to the Gospel of Mark. And I will read for us these first eight verses of Mark's Gospel. Listen now to the word of the Lord. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he... Who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this sermon this morning and uh, this series that we're going through, that all of it would ultimately point us back to your Son, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would grow bigger in our eyes. And may we see you for who you truly are, mighty and worthy. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, every good, every good story has a beginning. And so what are some of your favorite stories? I know one of the stories uh, that really shaped my, child, my childhood uh, started a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. My all-time favorite uh, book, favorite story, uh, even before he gets to the first chapter and gets to introduce the main characters, starts with a prologue concerning hobbits. Now, why would Tolkien start his epic Lord of the Rings with a prologue concerning hobbits? Well, it's because the book is, is all about hobbits. And if you are to understand what comes next, you ought to understand something about this peculiar uh, group of people. And so if Star Wars is all about a rebellion, rebellion against tyranny in a galaxy far, far away, and if the Lord of the Rings is all about a group of hobbits that uh, join forces to defeat uh, evil and save Middle-earth, then what is the Gospel of Mark? What is this book? What is this story all about? Mark gives us his one-sentence summary of the book. Verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what the story is all about. And the incredible thing about this story is that it's all true. All of it. It is the gospel. Gospel, which means good news. So this is news, 
News is something that is proclaimed. News is something that is a, a statement of facts. This is information. This is something that happened. And it's news that is good because it's the proclamation concerning this particular person named Jesus, who is God's anointed, who is the Christ, who himself is the Son of God. And so like all good stories, it has a beginning. And so we want to begin then where Mark begins. And so we're going to look at these first eight verses this morning, the beginning of this story, uh, under three different sections, three different headings. And we'll see first the prophecy in verses 2 and 3, then the messenger in verses 4 through 6, and finally the message, verses 7 and 8. So let's look at these things together now. And first we see the prophecy. Look at how Mark begins this account of the good news. He doesn't start with the news itself. But he begins by reminding us of something that has been written. Before he gets to the present and everything going on here, he first reminds us of what was past. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah. We see here that our God is a God of words. You know, in the beginning, the very beginning of our Bibles, the book of Genesis, we see how God created all things by the word of his power. He speaks things into existence. He's the only being in the universe capable of speaking things into being. He's the only one powerful and able to create out of nothing. We are capable of doing all kinds of wonderful things. We can put pen to paper and write epic fantasy tales. We can take a chisel and and turn a a stone slab into a beautiful uh, structure. We can uh, put ink onto a canvas, make a beautiful painting. But we all work with tools. We all work with the materials that are at our disposal. In other words, we have to use things to make other things. Only God can create from nothing. And that's what he does. By the word of his power, he speaks and things come into being. So he's a God of words. And, remarkably, he commits those words to writing so that we would have a record of what he has done and who he is. And so this is what we have here. As it is written, it's recorded history. A written statement as God, he inspired his prophets to write these very words, all for future generations like us to benefit from them. And so here we have a prophecy given through uh, the one who created all things by speaking them into existence. Now the same God speaking through the prophet of what is to come. And so he gives this prophecy, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Mark draws this promise, this prophecy, both from Isaiah and Malachi. Isaiah being the head of the prophets in that section of our Bibles. It's it's, uh, common and uh, it's natural to list him alone as, as a representative of all the rest. And that's what Mark does here. And so from Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, we see this prophecy. God is sending a messenger 
He is going to prepare the way of the Lord who will come after him. And this person is, is like a voice in the wilderness. He's crying out, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And this is all in, in fulfillment of God's promises. He's fulfilling scripture. And this is the beginning now of the end, as it were. As everything previously recorded and written in the Old Testament is now beginning to be fulfilled. And the people, they need to be reminded of, of what had come before. You see, the paths, they had become crooked. People needed to be reminded of, of uh, who they were and that they needed uh, the Lord. They needed this forgiveness of sins that He brings. And they needed to be reminded that the Lord had not forgotten His people. And now it is time to make ready those paths once again. You know, this is how God works through His Word. You know, the pathway uh, to our hearts, those paths, they can become overgrown. They can become full of obstacles, calloused and run down. We, we can become dead in our own sins. That's, that's how Scripture speaks of us. Yet God's Word goes forth as a voice crying in the desert of our own hearts and makes straight pathways for the gospel of Jesus Christ to come in and turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh to, to make us new, to enliven us to Christ. Faith comes by hearing. That's what Paul says. And, and God's word never returns empty. It does not return void. That's one of the reasons why the reformers were so uh, adamant on returning uh, worship uh, into uh, simple worship. Centered around the Word. Now, not just the preaching of the Word, but that the Word would be part of everything in the service. Get rid of anything that might be a distraction to the Word preached, the Word read, uh, Bible-rich songs and hymns that are sung. All of those things teach us, and God uses those as His means of giving us His grace and enlightening our minds, renewing our minds. God's Word is what speaks to us and changes hearts. So here we have this prophecy. This prophecy was about a messenger who would come before Jesus and prepare his way. Well, now let's consider that messenger. Let's consider this uh, John the Baptist in the next few verses. Mark gives the prophecy, and then immediately uh, we get the fulfillment. In verse 4, John appeared. <laughs> Here he is. He's the voice in the desert. And that, that's where he was. We, we're told that he was baptizing in the wilderness. He was baptizing for repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. He was preparing uh, the way. But why a baptism of repentance? Why was that his ministry? Well, it's because of the reality of sin. Why is it good news? Well, it's because that there's bad news. John's purpose was to remind the people of this bad news so that the good news might truly be good to them. And only with the proper diagnosis can there be a cure. And that is the importance of the message of repentance. That's the importance 
of repentance. It's so scary to confess our sins, isn't it? It's so, so scary to, to be known in that kind of way. We would rather hold on to them. We would rather hide if we could in, in the darkness. But there's something so much better than that. And that's what John's pointing to here. There's something so much better than hidden sin. There's forgiveness of sins. And that's so much better. There's the cleansing and the washing of water, which represents to us the the washing, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Like the leper, he says to Jesus, he falls at his feet, he says, Lord Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. What does Jesus say? How does he respond to him? Oh, get away from me. You're going to make me unclean. No, he doesn't say that. Jesus says, I am willing. He reaches down. He touches the leper. What a beautiful picture of the gospel that is. The one, uncle- the one clean himself becoming unclean that he might save him and heal him and cleanse him. See, there is forgiveness, there is cleansing available to you, to all of us, if we would be like that leper and throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, if you are willing. This was John's ministry. This repentance, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what he was pointing to. He was the last, John the Baptist, he was the last great Old Testament prophet. Did you know that? The New Testament begins with an Old Testament prophet. That's because that's what God promised in His Scriptures that He was going to do. Everything that He was going to fulfill. He was going to send this great prophet before Christ would come. So we're told that John is in the desert. And he was wearing quite the outfit. And he had an even more interesting diet. He wore camel's hair, and he had a leather belt that tied it all together, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Very interesting diet. It kind of felt like my diet that I had the past few weeks before Jess got back, just scrounging around for whatever I could find uh, to eat. I don't know how I survived without her all those years. But why did John dress this way? Why was, why was this... His, his thing. This was not the latest fashion trend. This was not uh, some designer outfit. But he wore it purposely because he was standing in, in line with the other Old Testament prophets, specifically the prophet Elijah, who likewise, who himself was dressed the same way. And though Mark does not fill us in on the importance of this detail, we, we know from, from Malachi chapter 4 and from uh, the other Gospels that Elijah was to come first, and he has come first in the person of, of John, the one baptizing there in the Jordan. So he was the last Old Testament prophet, and he made one last appeal to God's people to turn from their sins, to receive forgiveness through their Lord. Only in doing so would they be prepared for the coming of the Lord's Messiah. So that was the prophecy. And that is the messenger. But what was his message? 
what did John the Baptist say to this crowd of people gathered around him? Let's look at his message. Verses 7 and 8, he says, And he preached to them, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So what's the essence of of the message? John's message and and the message of Mark in, in general, this is so important. This book, this message, is not good advice to live a good life. It's good news about a person. That's the message. The message is good news about a person, about Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus. That is the message. It's about a person. And John tells us some important details about this person. The gospel of Mark, it's, it's a wonderful story. It's wonderfully crafted and it's asking this question as we go throughout. We'll see it, the, especially the first, uh, first third of the book. It's asking this question, who is Jesus? And it's slowly but surely we learn more and more and more about this person until we realize, no, he is the Christ, as Mark said in verse 1. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. But who is this person? That's the question. And John he gives us some information, some details about this, about this person, both, both who he is and also what he does. There are two words that John uses to describe this, this coming Messiah as he preached, to describe who he is. John says that he is mightier, and he says that in contrast to himself, he is of much more worth or dignity. So let's consider those two words, that he's mightier and that he's worthy. So Jesus is mighty, John says. This is an important theme uh, throughout the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is, is depicted throughout as one who is so much mightier than, than all others. Especially in that, the beginning when we're asking that question, who is Jesus? Well, one of the things about Jesus is that he is mighty. This word mighty, it means exactly what we we think it means it's someone who is strong, someone who is capable, who is able, and in every sense of the word, physically, mentally, spiritually especially. Jesus is mighty. And so, as we go through this gospel, we'll see all of those ways. Right away in the next section, after his baptism, we'll see that Jesus is mightier than Satan. He's able to resist all his temptations. Satan has no power over him. Then we'll see that he's mightier than the demons. He expels the demons. He, he heals uh, those with unclean spirits. He's mightier than sickness and disease. He, he cleanses the leprosy, uh, those with leprosy. He heals the paralytic. He's also mightier in knowledge than all the, the Pharisees and the scribes. He's able to teach the people what the scriptures uh, actually mean and to reason with them. 
Ultimately, in the climactic ending of this story, we learn that Jesus is even mighty over the grave, over sin and death itself, when he's raised to new life on the third day. Jesus is mightier than all of those things. And so a question that you, you need to ask yourself is, do you believe that? It's a good question to ask. Do you believe that Christ is mighty? Or is there something going on in your life that you think might be too difficult for Christ to handle? Or some sin that might be too big for Him to forgive? Or some relationship that might be too broken for Him to restore? Do you believe that He is mighty? Christ is mighty. He is also worthy. He alone is worthy. So John, as he continues to preach and to baptize, uh, he's gaining this this massive uh, gathering. He held these massive services as everyone from all over was coming down uh, to see this crazy guy with a weird outfit and the weird diet talk this weird message about repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But what was his message? His message was, do not get attached to me because I am just the one pointing to someone else. Jesus is so much more than I am that I am not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal, let alone share even a small bit of his glory. That's his message. The word worthy here refers to those kinds of qualifications or the, the standard that must be met, the, the ability. John's point is that Jesus is in a completely different category than himself. He has, he has no right to share in his glory. It's not even a, 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 a first team, second team distinction. No, it's a completely other category. What's the, what's the most basic, uh, a smallest thing that a servant could do? Untying the sandal, untying a shoe strap. Well, that's, I'm not even worthy of doing that, John says. That's how much more worthy, how much more uh, dignified this Christ is. That is the worth of Christ. Well, Well, how can that be? How is Christ so worthy? It's because, again, we saw it in the first verse. That this is the Son of God Himself. The Son of God incarnate. God in the flesh. God become man so that He could die to save you and me. In many places, uh, Scripture tells us of of just how precious Christ is. Uh, In our series over the summer, we talked about the church and we looked at one of those passages, 1 Peter chapter 2, where Jesus is described as the cornerstone, a stone which God declares is precious in His sight. He's precious. Christ is the pearl of great price who uh, is worth more than all the world's riches 
everything that one has to, to sell it so that he might buy this pearl of great price. That's who Christ is. He's the, he's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact image and the imprint of God in the flesh. Hebrews chapter 1 says that. He's precious. He's mighty. He's worthy. Is he worthy in our eyes? Uh, the great Puritan uh, Thomas Watson, he uh, wrote uh, a series of helpful um, tests, helpful questions to ask ourselves to determine uh, whether or not we do highly value Christ or uh, whether we prize Him, the language he uses. Do we prize Christ? Do, do we see Him as the invaluable person that He is? And one of his tests, he says this, He says, if we are prizers of Christ, then we shall not complain at any pains to get him. And his his point is this, that all too often we are content with just the bare minimum. We do not pursue every possible means by which God has promised to give us the grace in our, our union with Christ. We're content with little when God has given and offered to us so much. So Watson writes this, he says, Many say they have Christ in high veneration, but they are not industrious in the use of means to obtain Him. If Christ would drop as a ripe fig into their mouth, they would be content to have Him, but they will not put themselves to too much trouble to get Him. It's a convicting reality in our hearts. Reveals the content of our hearts, does it not? We'd be willing to have Christ if he would fall into our laps and we wouldn't have to move a muscle to get him. That would be fine. But do we value him? Do we see him for who he truly is? Would we do everything to have him? Do we recognize that he alone is worthy? Will we stop at nothing to have all of him? That's what John saw. That's the message that he proclaimed. That was his message. Christ alone is worthy. And that message has not changed. That's who Christ is. Do you highly prize Christ, as Watson would ask? Do you value him? Do you find him worthy? Because here's the incredibly good news is that Christ values you. Christ has highly valued you. Mark 10, 45, we'll get there eventually, maybe one day, maybe in a few years. I don't know how long it will take. We'll get there. Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The one who alone was worthy to be served came not to be served, but he came to serve us. We, in comparison, not even qualified to untie and dust off his his sandals at the end of the day, yet God found us valuable, so valuable, in fact, that he took our flesh upon him, gave his own body as a sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. So Watson would say, how precious our salvation was to Christ. Our salvation was precious to Christ. 
Shall we not prize and adore him who has put such a value upon us? That's the other thing. All too often, we can have such a faulty view of ourselves. We can condemn ourselves when when Christ says, No, listen to how God thinks of you. This is what Christ has done. This is the message. John John says it like this. This is what Christ does. Uh, John says, I baptize merely with water, but the one after me, this Christ, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, John only has water at his disposal. He's, he's a mere man. He's only able to create. He's only able to do with the tools that are given him, with the materials that are before him. God alone is able to baptize in the Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, he creates uh, by the Word, the internal Word of God creates by the Word of His power, and He's able to baptize with the Spirit, His very own Spirit, third person of the Trinity. In other words, He alone is able to make something that is dead to make it alive by speaking it and making it so. That is the message. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's powerful to save, and He is willing to save. And he holds out to you every spiritual blessing that is yours if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are united to him. The forgiveness of sins, the spirit himself of of peace and love, newness of life, a renewed mind, renewed will, life everlasting, perfect peace with God your creator, all these things he offers to you. If you would come to him, kneel at his feet, Lord, if you are willing, if you ask him that, if you pray that, his answer will always be, I am willing. So that is where the story begins. And like every good story with a good beginning, it invites us into it. It invites us in to consider our own life in relationship to Christ, in relationship to Him and what He does. It invites us to follow in His footsteps. This is the true story of God made flesh in the person of Jesus, anointed as the Christ, the Messiah. He alone is mighty. He alone is worthy. In Him there is forgiveness of sin. And He promises this blessing of His very own Spirit where there is incredibly bad news, where there is pain and struggle and sin, there is good news. Jesus is the good news. Believe in Him. Call upon Him. Trust in Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of You. As we've already sung today and as we will sing in a moment, we are in awe of who you are, how great you truly are, Lord. All of your creation, all that you've done for us in saving sinners, Lord, you are worthy of all our praise. And so our simple prayer is this, Lord, that we would have more of you today than we did yesterday, and that we would have more of you tomorrow than we do today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.